Good morning. Hello, Waters Church. How are we doing today? Woo! I look forward to seeing you back here for our um, no technology, no TV prayer meeting tonight at 6.20 p.m. And all the religious people said amen. Like, you shouldn't have said amen there, but okay. <laughs> Well, it is Super Bowl Sunday, or as we call it up here in New England, yep. <laughs> uh, my name is Tim, I'm the pastor here, and if you're here for the first time, uh, we pray it's not the last time, but that you come on back and worship Jesus, grow in Christ with us, and everybody who comes regularly said, amen, amen and hello to you online. Well, take out your bulletins. We are concluding a series that I've really enjoyed preaching over the last four weeks, including this one. Um, first things first, getting our hearts, souls, minds, and strengths aligned with God. And so we've talked for three weeks, and now today, the fourth week, on those particular parts of our being. In the bulletin is a note page we want to encourage you to Fill in the blanks and take notes. Follow along with us. Um, we want to see God speak to you. First Peter chapter 4, too, if you have your Bibles. First Peter chapter 4. And we'll get there in a few moments into the text. I uh, want to introduce to you the, the title of my message, which I came up completely. I came up with this title completely on my own. No help whatsoever. The title of the message is, You're Not Done, So Do Your Job. <laughs> the Lord gave me that one. <laughs> You're not done. You are not done. Somebody say, not done. <laughs> so do your job. Say, do your job. I am inspired by the Patriots. I, uh, I, I grew up, you know, when they weren't the Patriots, they were the Patsies. How many remember that? I was trying to explain to my 13-year-old son what it was like. He was like, what? They were like the Browns? Really? Yes, just like that. Uh, but I am inspired by their, uh, their tenacity and their absolute dedication to uh, pigskin and grass. Because at the end of the day, that's what it really is. <laughs> and I just think about it, like, they're that dedicated to that. How much more so? Should the church that bears the name of Jesus be dedicated to the purposes of the eternal, sovereign king of the universe? Amen, somebody. I, I'm ready to preach now. I hope you're ready to listen. But we got to be dedicated to the job God has given us to do in New England. It might be known as Patriots country, but I'm interested in turning it into Jesus country to the glory of his name. His name matters. He's the one who wins. And so I want to talk to you, though, about being a part of the team. Now, I've got my glasses on today, if you haven't noticed. And the reason why is because I can see very clearly individuals in the audience when I have my glasses on. So, you know, when I don't want to see you so much, I take them off and preach that way. But when I want to see you individually, I put them on. And the reason why is because I want to preach this message individually to each of you. Yes, corporately, but for you individually. And so I'm resolving the question that you might have at the end of this message. Was he talking to me? Yes. 
I'm talking to you. God wants to speak to you about doing your job in the team that is eternal, the team of Jesus Christ. So, recap the message series based on Mark chapter 12, 29 to 30. Uh, you shall love the Lord, Jesus said, the most important commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your, say it, heart, and all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. Today we're in strength, and I want to give you the definitions of the Greek words for strength. Now, your Bibles were not written in English. Uh, they were written over the course of 1,500 years, um, from about 3,500 B.C. to about 150 or so A.D. And so they were written in primarily two languages and a third one as well. So the two primary languages, Old Testament, is mostly written in Hebrew and then some in Aramaic, Greek in the New Testament. I want to give you the definition of the words for strength in both Hebrew and Greek because this commandment appears both in the Old Testament Hebrew and the New Testament Greek. And I want to get somewhere with this, so I put it on your notes to fill in the blanks. The Greek word for strength is iskus, iskus, and it actually translates better um, ability. Strength is your ability. And then the Hebrew word for strength is miod, and that word translates muchness. I love to say muchness. Just say, say muchness. Doesn't sound fun to say muchness. And so I thought, put them together. I must love God with the muchness of my ability. This is what it means to love God with all your strength. With all that he has made you able to do. Now, as soon as I got that out in my thoughts for preparation for this weekend. As soon as I got that out. This thought came to me, and I think it's true for many of you. Some of you will immediately respond to that statement by saying, I don't have much ability. I know that there's people out there that do, like you, Pastor, you. That was a joke. Okay, never mind. Uh, <laughs> you know, people on stage and screen, people that, you know, the, 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 um, the superstars of our country, the people in the high rises of the corporate industry, people who run their own business, people who are stage and screen actors, whatever you want to say, and you think, okay, they have muchness of ability, but not me. Not me. God skipped over me on handing out abilities day. And you think that you don't have much to offer. And I want to tell you something. God would never ask you to do something he doesn't believe you have the capacity to do. If he asks you to love him with the muchness of your ability, you better believe he has programmed into your body, into your DNA, into the fiber of who you are, muchness of ability. Because God does not need superstars and big names to get this movement going forward. God takes pleasure in using the people who nobody else thinks has got it to show forth his power and glory in people who know they desperately need him to do it through them. And you can love God with the muchness of your ability because I got news for you. I don't care what you were told when you were younger. You are not an accident. You are not happenstance. You are not the bad choices of two people who fell into passionate lovemaking at some point in history. No, you are designed by a father in heaven who loves you. He saw you before you were born. He saw you before you were in your mother's womb. And before you were ever even in your mother's womb, he sent Jesus Christ to die for you as a rubber stick 
stamp on the existence of your life that you are worth the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. You are somebody he sees and believes in. I love that movie, The Count of Monte Cristo. Has anybody seen this with Jim Caviezel? Love that movie. He's wrongly imprisoned, betrayed by his friends, and he spends four years in solitary confinement in this, in this very, um, uh, very private uh, prison in, in, in France. And, and he's in the cell alone for four years. No one talks to him. Well, this priest next door to him burrows underneath, his, underneath the ground and pops his head up, and, and he's the first human being that this man, uh, 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 Edmund Dantes, has seen in four years. And I remember the first words out of his mouth when he sees this old priest. He says, I have 17,359 bricks in my cell. And the old priest says, ha, 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 but have you named them yet? And the priest had been there much longer. And so anyway, the priest teaches him how to fight, teaches him about economics, teaches him about this. And so he's learning all these things. And they make this bond, this friendship. And he's thinking about, how can I get vengeance on my betrayers? That's the only reason he wants to get out, to have vengeance. And so the priest, there's an accident while they're trying to burrow through to get out of the prison. And the priest, there's an accident, so the priest is about to die. And his, and his final words to Edmund Dantes are, do not commit the crime for which you have been imprisoned. God says, vengeance is mine. And Edmund Dantes says, I don't believe in God. And the priest responds with what? He says, it doesn't matter. He believes in you. And I was thinking about that line. That's such a fantastic line to be told by somebody. God believes in you. I was raised by parents who said that to me. I was raised by people who said that to me regularly. Some of you weren't. And I think that's why you always think, I'm nobody. I'm nothing. I've got nothing to offer. You might have ability, someone else might have ability, but not me. Maybe my older brother, maybe my younger sister, but not me. And I wanna tell you, I wanna, I wanna annihilate and demolish the lie, the stronghold of insignificance that the devil has planted in the fabric of your being today. I'm talking to you. There's no doubt about it, God wants you to do something great for the kingdom of God. So it's, it's in your notes. It's in your notes there. The next line, you could probably fill in the blank without me saying it. Familiarity breeds what? Contempt. In other words, the more familiar we are with somebody, uh, the more we kind of, you know, lessen them in our eyes. But I thought about this. Here's the truth. The person that we are most familiar with is ourselves. Right? We know ourselves. I know me. You know you. And this is where insecurities and inadequacies come from. This is where self-image issues come from. And this is why we will search and seek and try to find some way to validate ourselves in the eyes of others, in the eyes of ourselves. This is where selfies come from. This is where selfies come from. I need you to think that I'm worth something. I need you to think that I have something to offer. Duck taste. So <laughs> the, the thing is that we know ourselves. We know ourselves, and so therefore we, in some respects, even disrespect ourselves and disrespect God because he made us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made according to the scriptures. And so don't disrespect God by disrespecting you. Believe that God has designed you for certain things. But we have so much familiarity, we gotta get over this stuff. You know, we even do this with our area, like we're New Englanders. 
And how many know this is true? Like you will travel to places and go to cities and see everything in the city that's notable, but you've never been to places that you live by. Anybody with me on this? Like you could be living near Boston for 17 years and not know where Faneuil Hall is. I had a friend from Pittsburgh come visit me. It was a number of years ago. He came to visit me. We were going to have him preach at the church. And he's like, oh, I'm so excited to be here near Boston. He's like, hey, let's go into Boston. Let's go see some things. I'm like, Boston? Where's that? <laughs> I like pull up maps and drive myself in there. I didn't know what to bring him to. I'm like, there's some water, the boats, some waves. <laughs> He's like, where are the sites? I'm like, I don't know. That's how it is. We, we, we'd start to despise the place that we come from. And I, and I remember one time I was on vacation. I told this to the small group leaders a couple months ago. I want to tell it to you. I was on vacation at another city and doing all the sites there. And I remember that I saw on a table, I saw Yankee Magazine on the table. Yankee Magazine, magazine about New England. And so I opened it up and I said, one of the articles was, hidden treasures you must visit in New England. And I'm like, you know, I don't get around much in New England. And I'm from there. And I guess there's hidden treasures there, so what's there? So one of the things that they talked about was the guy who wrote um, Diary of a Wimpy Kid. And they said uh, that he bought this old abandoned building and he fixed it up and he made it a, a bookstore. I'm like, I, my kids love that movie. My kids love those books. I didn't know he was from New England. And so then I'm reading a little longer, it says Massachusetts. I'm like, I didn't know he was from Massachusetts. This is in Massachusetts. We could go maybe spend a day getting there, spend a day coming back, whatever. Right? And then it said, Plainville, Massachusetts. <laughs> and, and then I, I literally had this thought. I kid you not, go through my head. I said, now, where's Plainville, Massachusetts? <laughs> it is 3.9 miles away from this spot right here. The building, his building. I just had this thought, that, and, then, and I remember the Lord giving me a little bit of a correction in my spirit. He said, Tim, don't do that with your area. And don't do that with you. Stop despising where you're from and who you are. You are made in the image of a glorious God, and you are made for glorious things to reflect his glory to the world. And that was his word to me. And my, I'm just passing it on to you that you will receive this for yourselves. If you feel the need to be encouraged by God because you believe that you can't, I got good news for you, you're in good company. Some of God's best heroes needed him to encourage them out of their own inadequacies. Remember Moses? Remember? He killed somebody. And then he ran. And he wrestled with that, with that history for 40 years alone in the desert. And God showed up and said, go and deliver my people. He said, have you heard me? I can't talk. God says, I made your mouth, I can fix it. God said that Moses is just arguing with God for two whole chapters, send somebody else. Why me? Not me. You've picked the wrong person. Are you sure you showed up at the right side of the desert, God? God says, go. I remember Gideon, Gideon who was chosen while he was hiding from his enemies, trying to thresh wheat at a wine press. You're hiding in a cave. God shows up to Gideon and says what? The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The dude was hiding in a cave. Doesn't look mighty, right? Doesn't look like he's a warrior. Looks like he's a running hider. He says, are you talking? Who are you talking to? You, go and deliver my people from their enemies. 
And you would think that that one moment with God would be enough for Gideon, and it wasn't. Gideon's a lot like you and me. He had to have reassurance every single step of the way. It's where we get the fleece idea. Throw your fleece before God. That came from Gideon because he had to test God twice to make sure that God was really speaking to him. He had that much insecurity. He had that low of a perception of himself. Familiarity bred contempt in his spirit. Or I think about Jeremiah who said, I'm too young. And God says, don't say that. Or Elijah, or Elijah who ran from Jezebel. And God showed up and said, what are you doing here? Get back to what I called you to do. Or Peter who denied Christ. And Jesus actually takes the initiative to restore him back to himself. And three times says, do you love me? To get the answer from Peter, yes, I love you. And Jesus says, then go do what I called you to do. Stop worrying about the past and know that I prepared you for your future. Or Timothy, two books in the Bible written to Timothy. He's a young pastor in the city of Ephesus in the first century, a massive metropolitan area of the first century in Rome. He was overwhelmed. He felt not up to the task. That's why if you read the books of First and Second Timothy, you will hear on a regular basis, Paul stops and says, Timothy, keep going. Timothy, God has called you. Timothy, don't neglect the gift that has given you. It's actually where we get one of the great lines from Scripture. God has not given us a spirit of what? fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. That was from Paul the Apostle to his young protege Timothy, who felt overwhelmed by the context in which he found himself. And I wonder who's here, and you're a Timothy. You know, you're somebody who needs God to say, stop fearing man and fearing what you don't have, and know the God you serve is more than enough to do great things through you. You're not done. Do your job. So the big idea I want you to write down before I get to my notes is this. Don't let what you think about you stop what God can do through you. Don't let what you know about you, the familiarity that you have with yourself, stop you from allowing the sovereign God of the universe who specializes in taking nobodies and doing amazing things that somebodies are blown away by. Do that through you. 1 Peter chapter 4, if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word, here's what God says. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Somebody say, the end. This is the end. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling mm. as each has received a gift notice past tense use it somebody say use it to serve one another as good stewards of god's varied grace whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of god whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that god supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him be, belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And this is God's word. Let's pray. Father, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts will be pleasing in your sight. I pray that every person here, every single one, every single one will know that they are made with muchness of ability, different than others, 
for unique callings and places, but ultimately for your glory. And Father, I pray, may we see Jesus and him only. In his name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Okay, so what does Peter say? Get busy. You're the church. You're a royal priest and a holy nation. That's where that comes from, 1 Peter chapter 2. You're a peculiar people. You were called out of darkness into his wonderful light that you should show forth the praises of him. This is who you are. You are elect exiles. You are, this is how he starts his epistle, 1 Peter chapter 1, to the elect exiles. What does that mean? Elect, chosen, exiles. What does that mean? Not home. Two things about you. You are chosen and you are not home. You should never ever feel totally comfortable on earth. This world is not your home. You are in the world, you're not of the world. You are different by design. You are not made to fit in, you are born to stand apart to the glory of Jesus. If you got friends who don't understand your faith, good. If you got family members who don't get it, that's right. It should happen. They did, they, Jesus' own family didn't understand him. They thought he was out of his mind. And so, and so too he said, if, if they treat me like this, you better believe they will treat you like this. You are not of this world. You are chosen by an amazing, glorious God for his glory. So stop worrying about how people think about you and don't let them tell you who you are. You let God tell you who you are. So now with that in mind, Peter says, get busy. Do your job. Point number one, if you're taking notes, I don't have all the time in the world. Focus. This is what Peter is saying. That's why, that's why he says the end of all things is at hand. The end is at hand. And what does he mean by the end? What does he mean? He means Jesus is coming back. First service, are you aware of this? Jesus is coming back. Hallelujah. You're not going to always struggle with that. You're not always going to be sick. You're not always going to be like this. You're not always going to struggle. Jesus will crack the sky, and every eye will see him, and every knee is going to bow, and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's going to happen. The angel said to his disciples, the same Jesus who you see ascend will come back in the same way he left. And we're waiting for that return. Now the question is, are you going to be ready? Are you going to be excited about his return? Or are you going to be ashamed? Because the Bible commends us not to be ashamed at his coming. How do I get ashamed of his coming, Pastor? I thought it was all grace. No, you're ashamed at his coming when you take for granted the grace he's given you. And you busy yourself and you occupy yourself with things that really don't matter for eternity. And you get all worried about temporal issues. Temporal things that don't matter. You're, 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 you spend 70 to 90 years on this planet. If you're lucky, you will spend a billion years in eternity. And I guarantee you, 1,365,275,301 days from now, Whatever you're wrestling with today will be the furthest thing from your mind. So get busy in the kingdom. Focus. See, there's something about knowing that there's an end coming. 
keeps you focused. This is why cancer patients today don't really give a rip about the results of the game. They don't care. And they're not worried about the size of their house compared to their neighbor's house. And they're really not concerned about their Instagram account. They know they gotta worry about serious things. And, and they've got that prognosis, terminal, right? Well, you do too, it's terminal. <laughs> There's an end, Termin terminal comes from terminate, means, means to end. Jesus will end your life at some point. I pray that it will be well advanced in age or his return. But you only got so much time, don't waste it. And then he says, for the sake of your prayers. Focus for the sake of your prayers. For the sake of your prayers? Pastor, I thought you said that we should get busy. What's this first? Why pray? Well, we gotta get busy. No, wait, stop. The first thing you gotta get busy doing is aligning your mind with God's priorities. That's what prayer does. I used to think that the Lord's Prayer was, um, you know, basic and simplistic. And that when you grew in Christ, you put the Lord's Prayer aside and you prayed real prayers. I used to think that. And I can tell you that over the last three years, I have fallen in love with the Lord's Prayer like never before. I love that prayer. Anybody with me on this? Do you know why I love that prayer? Because life has taught me how many stupid prayers I prayed for so many stinking years. And God said no. And it took time. That's all it took. It just took time for me to say, thank God he said no all that time. And you think about that and you say, well, what prayers am I praying right now that are foolish, that are stupid, that don't matter? Like, let me remind myself regularly that I don't have the perspective my Father has. That's why the Lord's Prayer is so beautiful. Our Father, where? Who art in perspective I don't have. Hallowed be your name. It's not about my name. Mm. It's not about my reputation, so I don't have to worry about what people think about me. I don't have to keep up with the Joneses. I don't have to live in that select neighborhood. I'm not saying those things are bad. I'm just saying I don't have to live for them. Hallowed be your name. Lord, if you want to get glory out of me wherever I am, so be it. And then what? Your kingdom come. Your will be. It's not your kingdom. It's not my kingdom. So busy, everybody building their kingdoms on earth. We build our towers out of bricks and mortar, and one day they will come down. Somebody, somebody else will take it, and somebody else will do something totally different with what we built. Yeah, that's how life is. So don't worry about your kingdom. Don't worry about your will. Remember Jesus in the garden says, not my will, but yours be done. And I think about this. I think about this. He models for us the perfect submissive spirit of the human heart. Not my will, but yours be done. And because Jesus says, Lord, Father, I don't want to do what I want. I want to do what you want. And because he resolved that in the Garden of Gethsemane, he went to the cross and we get to go to heaven. Because Jesus said, not my will, we get to go to heaven. I wonder who here today needs to hear those words for you. Maybe it's time for you to surrender and give up trying to do life on your terms so that other people beyond you can be blessed. And so the Lord's Prayer, it's about aligning our minds 
with what God is up to. I have a pastor. I, I, I know a great pastor in uh, this country. <laughs> he, he preaches very well, and he says this line. He says that one of his prayers every day is, God, I want to be in on whatever big things you're up to today. What a great prayer. So much of us are trying to get God in on the big things we've got planned for today. How about, God, I want to be in on what you're up to today. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Amen. And then verse 8, he says, Above all, keep loving one another since, uh, earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. And what he's saying there is, basically, uh, you're going to hurt each other. You're going to bother each other. You're going to upset each other. You're going to offend each other. But you're a team. You're a team. Imagine if the Patriots couldn't get over little things. Well, I'd throw you the ball, Danny Amendola, but you hurt me last night. <laughs> and I'm offended. And so I'm not even going to show up. My word. They do that. They get over their little hearts for pigskin and grass. Get over your little hearts for the name of Jesus. Like these things are normal and natural. We're humans. We, we got to love one another in spite of our faults. Love one another in spite of our failures. Love one another in spite of our inconsistencies. Because why? Because the team is bigger than me. The mission is bigger than me. I mean, man, I get hot about this because people have heard me. People have heard me many years, many times. You get over it. You move on. You say, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I suffered today. Now let, let your name be glorified and love one another earnestly. Earnestly means put some effort into it. You don't love somebody until you put effort into it. My marriage is so hard. It was so easy. And now it's so hard. Yes. Love is hard. Marriage takes work. What did you think? It was going to be you just glaring in each other's eyes for all eternity? You got to get a job. You gotta make money, you gotta pay bills. Your, your loving gaze into each other's arms is the interest of no one. So stop trying to charge tickets. <laughs> Get out there and do something. <laughs> Love, earnestly, do something. Put some effort in. Put some effort in to Waters Church. Some of you, you have been blessed by the efforts of others. Somebody parked you today. Somebody greeted you today. Somebody made these chairs nice for you today. Somebody cleaned today for this. Somebody's doing cameras today. Somebody's doing media today. Somebody sang today. Somebody played instruments today. Somebody's doing the classes today. Somebody's hosting small groups during the week. Uh, somebody's making sure that their home is clean so that when you come in, you can have a clean experience and a wonderful experience with other Christians and grow in your faith together in community. Let me just tell you something. That took effort. That took hard work. And so here's what I want you to write down in your notes. God does not need my ability. My neighbor does. God does not need your efforts. Your neighbor does. It's amazing how religious people do this. This is what the Pharisees did. This is what the Sadducees did. They turned their religious efforts all into works for God. And Jesus said to them, he said, you guys have a rule, don't you? I love this phrase when he says this. You have this rule about honoring your parents, that if you dedicate something to the temple, you don't have to honor your parents with it anymore. What a nice little loophole workaround from the great commandment of loving, honoring your father and mother. 
He says, what are you doing? You're taking your Christianity, you're taking your religious practice and turning it into an excuse to not love those who are near you. That's what religious people do. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't help you. Person fallen among the robbers, I'm on my way to church. And the good Samaritan comes by and says, no, I will stop my religious practice for the sake of this man who needs me. My neighbor needs the abilities God has planted in me. Okay, so let's get to the second point. Number two, I am able. I am able. And you're able in three areas. I am able. Somebody say, I am able. So Peter wants us to understand, A, you have something to give. You have something to give. When he says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Notice the without grumbling. That should help us understand that he's talking about something more than just having people over for coffee. Okay? <laughs> In the first century, to the people that Peter originally wrote these words to, Christianity was A, illegal, and B, seriously cost you something. If you became a Christian under pagan rule, pagan uh, Roman authority, uh, that you would have family members literally disown you, cut you out of their will. Imagine if today in America, becoming a Christian meant you basically lost your inheritance, your family, and your friends. Like, I think that's one of the hindrances of Christianity today. It's too easy because we fake it and we don't count the cost. And then when there's a cost, we say, shoot, God must have let me down. No, there's a cost. And so we have something to give. It says, show hospitality. So because it was illegal and because you, people lost money because they became Christians, you had to pay for each other. You had to help each other out financially. And you had to, and the, the preachers of those days were itinerant. They would go from house to house and preach and move on. House to house and preach. There was a big stage. There's no building there's no place like this. If you went for a building permit for a Christian church in the first century, they would have shot you with arrows. <laughs> and so they, what Peter is saying here is make sure you show hospi hospitality to those who preach the word and make room for people who are Christians so that they can have a community of faith to grow in. Translation 2,000 years later. Provide a space like this through your money to make it possible for people to grow in Christ and preachers to preach the word of God to you because man does not live by bread alone but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So this is why we ask you to tithe. This is why we pass those buckets. And I want to challenge some of you. You are tipping God. Stop it. He's not a, he's not a waiter. This is not a restaurant. The fiver, five for Jesus, one for Jesus. Are you crazy? Honor God with your finances. I'm, I was raised Pentecostal, some of the cheapest people on the planet. Penny, Pentecostal, pennies for Jesus, Pentecostal, pennies. <laughs> it's not about giving God money, it's about honoring God financially. When you get paid, you take a test. Every paycheck is a test. Who gets the honor? Who do you trust first? Who do you tell, I trust you first with the first of your increase? The mortgage company, the electric company, the cable company, your kids? You gotta trust God here. It's called the tithe. Yesterday I was on my mobile banking thing and I was upping my tithe because I'm getting paid a little bit more now. 
and I was looking at the history of all the times I've increased every year. God has been amazingly faithful to me. And I tithe, and we give above the tithe. The tithe is like the floor. It's not the ceiling. It's the floor. You give above that. It tra- See, what the tithe does is it trains you to be generous and let money go. Because we're, by nature, we come into this world like this. I need it. I need it. I need it. I need it. You ever see a baby born? What's he doing with his hands? <laughs> you ever see an old person die? What do they do with their hands? That's how it is, friend. You're going to let it go. Learn to do that before your last breath. Trust God with the tithe. Give the, and then you say to the church, that's what you're saying to the church. I believe the preaching of the word is important for people other than me. Somebody paid for me to be here. I'm going to pay for other people to be here. This wonderful building, amen? Beautiful. But there's people sitting here you seriously sacrificed to make it happen. And so my question to those who came in, who are you sacrificing for for the future? Because we have no interest. I have no interest in becoming a millionaire. None. I have no interest in having season tickets at the Red Seats in Gillette Stadium. Although if you want to give them to me, I'll take them. Amen. But I have no interest in being like this really successfully financial pro- I don't. I want to see people come to know Jesus. That's all that we want. Make us, make it, help us make it happen by giving your first tenth to God for the cause of the gospel of Jesus. Number two, or B, sorry, B. I have something to say. He says, whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. That's why I'm so passionate up here, because I do believe that I'm speaking for God. And you have something to say as I preach. Guess what? If you don't show up, I would not want to preach. It's hard to preach to empty chairs. (laughs) But this is the real thing that I want to say. When you leave here and you live your life as a Christian, you're saying something to the people of your community about Waters Church, about Jesus, And when you invite, and I pray that you do, invite people on a regular basis. Hey, how about this? Instead of using Facebook to talk about all the menial things in your life, use Facebook to talk about how awesome church was this morning. I didn't get any amens. (laughs) Maybe I got to up my game here today. But you've got something to say. You invite people. They come. And this is the story for so many of you. You came because somebody invited you. You found Jesus. And now you know Jesus. So my question is, have you paid it forward? Tell somebody else. See. Let her see. I have something to do. I have something to do. And notice the past tense again. As each has received a gift. You have received a gift. You've got a gift. It just needs to be developed. And how do I develop my gifts? Okay, that's number three, and I'm done. I must get active. I must get active. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength, and that's the same word, iscus, strength, the ability, by the ability that, everybody look on that word there, by the strength, the ability that, say the next two words, what? Where does the ability come from, where? God supplies it. You do have ability. He will supply it, but you have to get active to see it uh, developed. It's like the gym. It's like working out. Think about your muscles. How many of you have a hate-love relationship with the gym? And by that, I mean, by that I mean you hate going, but if you go, you end up loving it, right? Like you think about going, you hate that. And it's National Quit Your Resolution Day, so I'm sure I'm talking to some people today. 
You drive to the gym, you hate doing that. You get undressed, you get dressed in the, in the, in the locker room, you hate doing that. You start to push things around, you start hating that. But if you keep going, you end up loving it. And you're so glad you came. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because there's something called endorphins in your muscles, all up in here. Once they're released, they start running through your body system and saying, be happy, be happy, be happy, be happy, be happy. This is how God has programmed your body so that by the time you're done with your workout, as though, though you hated it on the way in, you're so excited, you win, and you walk out of the gym saying, look at this, suckers, hallelujah, specimen coming through. You're happy. Joyful. Some of the most miserable people on the planet are just not active enough. I struggle with depression. No, you struggle with inactivity. Get out there. Do something. Get involved in Waters Church. Serve. Find your place. Minister to people. Share your faith. Do something. The Bible says he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. God has programmed your muscles. Think about this. To respond with joy when you put exertion through them. Who's not to say that God has designed your spiritual muscles to do the exact same thing? Not for you, but for others. You're not done. So what? Do your job.